0: Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, You shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me.
1: When the young man
0: heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard.
1: Why? <laughs>
0: About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. will be last. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him.
2: What a story. Our text opens with verse 16 in chapter 19 with a rich man, a law-abiding rich man, a religious rich man, who does not have the assurance of eternal life, asking what he can do. And he is told he has to sell everything and give it to the poor, and then he has to follow Jesus. He has to change his whole life. And it appeared that his possessions had the priority in his life, and he didn't do what the Lord called him to do. Our text today ends with the healing of two blind men who... If they were blind their whole life, were beggars, unable to earn a living, they were the poor who would have been blessed by a rich man who would be willing to sell it all. All they could do was cry out alms, 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 and they cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Literally what they cried out was, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. They recognized Jesus' authority, and they recognized his fulfillment, a prophecy of being the promised Messiah as the son of David. And they experienced not only a miracle for free, but now they got a new purpose. They followed Jesus. The more we have, the more we have to give up. The more blessed we are, the more we have to surrender And so Jesus gave the hyperbole, the picture, the imagery of a camel going through the eye of a needle. People have endeavored to try to explain that away as a camel rope to thread through the eye of the needle, that's still impossible, or a camel going through a small gate into a city that would be called the eye of a needle, a camel would have to have everything removed and get down on its knees to be able to enter the city. National Geographic did an article years ago during my childhood, and someone had carved little camels out of ivory or some valuable substance. And I remember seeing a picture of those little camels and the eye of a needle right beside them. We'll go to great lengths to not obey God's fullness. Now, when Jesus came, he gave commands for the masses and he gave commands to individuals. Some were temporary commands, like go into such and such a village and rent this room, or follow this person carrying water. That wasn't a command for all time. That was a command for that time, or give me your fish and bread, and I will multiply it. That was a calling to a little boy who gave his lunch, no doubt being hungry. He wondered what would happen, and boy, he went home with 12 baskets full, but when the Lord gives commands to masses, it's for us all to not hate, to not lust, to give generously to those that ask, to uh, walk an extra mile with someone that compels you to walk two miles, to bless your enemies and not curse them in return. But yet each of us has an individual calling that the Lord calls us individually to walk in. And whatever he's called you to do invariably will cost something. It will change your life, but it will require a certain level of surrender that may not at times seem fair. The disciples told the Lord after the rich young ruler left, sorrowful, said, Lord, we've left all to follow you. And he says, Those who have given up houses, lands, their families for my sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. The hundredfold return promise isn't a scripture to be read during an offering time. You know, give a hundred and give a hundred and God will give you, you know, 10,000, you know, and you'll hear great testimonies, but rarely do you ever hear a testimony of somebody getting 100 times what they gave. That promise is given to people that give it all. You want the hundredfold return on your investment? Give your whole life to the Lord and obey him, and you will be blessed in this life, but most of all, in the world to come. I remember hearing a story of missionaries that were going home by ship, After a long mission in Africa, they had given their lives and their health and their youth to see the gospel spread on that great continent. On that same ship was President Teddy Roosevelt, who had been on a hunt, killed some big game, took lots of pictures. And when they arrived back in the States at port, there was a brass band there. The mayor of the city was there. There was great pomp and circumstance. Because the president was on the ship. The missionary turned to his wife and said, you know, it just doesn't seem right. We gave our whole life, our health, and our years to help the people of Africa. And all this guy did was kill some animals. Where's our brass band? Where's our homecoming celebration? His wife looked at him and said, but honey, we're not home yet. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So right smack dab in the middle of these amazing things is this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Early in the morning, probably before sunup, the guy went to where laborers gather. This happens in big cities. Sometimes it's at Home Depot. Contractor goes there not only to pick up materials, but to see if there's any men standing on the curb who'd like to work. It's called day labor. They agree to a price, and then they go work all day. And the sooner they get her done, the sooner the guy gets paid. And so if you get a good guy, it's a good day. And who knows, if he works good, you may want to go back and get him the next day. If you're unemployed, go hang out at one of those places, and you just may very well get put to work. Well, I may expect a phone call. Well, that used to be the excuse, we had to, you know, you apply for all these jobs, then you got to sit by the phone being unproductive. But now with cell phones, if you've got one, you don't have to be immobile waiting on those calls. Just let the, the temporary employer know hey, if I get a call, I, I have to take it. And so he, they agreed to a price. The first, he, he hires laborers, let's say six in the morning, the first hour. And then the third hour of the day, that's around 9 in the morning, he goes back and gets some more workers. Why? Because it was huge. It's a grape harvesting begins now in Israel. It starts in July and runs up to October. And this story, I believe, takes place in Jericho. And today, in the hottest part of the day, it reached 107 degrees. So this is tough work. So the guy, he hires at 9, Uh, He just says, I'll pay you what's right. They don't negotiate a price with him. He goes back at three, hires some more guys. They don't negotiate a price. He just says, I'll pay you what's right. At the end of the day, I think today in Jerusalem, the sun goes down a little bit after 7 p.m. So, you know, after five, he goes and hires some more guys, or maybe at four, he hires some more guys and says, "I'll, I'll do what's right by you. Because they got to get her done. If it's towards the end of the harvest, rains are coming, and you have to get things done. Otherwise, your harvest gets wet, and you run the risk of mold and ruining your stuff, and your whole year's of labor is, you know, rotting now. And so, the the, the move could be on to get this done. Then, at the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard has his foreman pay everybody the same price the first group had negotiated. So the guys that worked at the end of the day, just the short time, they got paid a denarius, and then the next group a denarius, the next group a denarius, the next group a denarius. And the last group, seeing this, assumed they were going to get paid more because they were there the longest and they didn't. And boy, were they Steamed. Welcome to Parables, our journey through the parables of Jesus in Matthew. Today, we're looking at the laborers in the vineyard. If you want to see visually just how steam these guys were, here is a spreadsheet. This was developed by Pastor Whitney at Village Church. The guys he picked up at 6 a.m., if they worked 12 hours, they agreed to $120 a day. They got paid $10 an hour. If the guys he picked up at nine got paid $120 at the end of the day, they worked nine hours, so they worked for $13.33 an hour. The guys he got at noon basically worked for $20 an hour. And the guys he picked up at three basically worked, if they worked till six, were paid $40 an hour. The guys he picked up at five, if they worked for an hour, they got paid $120 an hour. Or if they, get, if they worked for two hours till sundown, they got paid $60 an hour. And if, if they worked till sundown, the 6 a.m. guys got paid even less. It's just not right, is it? And yet the owner of the vineyard asked them this question, is it not right or lawful for, for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil or envious? Because I am good, so the last will be first and the first will be last. I have a friend who owns a painting company. He hired a guy that was worshiping with us at the time. This was years ago, back in the country love days. He got his crew working, and then he would go out and chase jobs and do other things. And one afternoon, he came back to check on his crew, and his church member said, where have you been? Well, I've been doing this, that, and the other. Well, he said, it's just not right. We're here slaving and working and making you money, and you're not here? It's just not right. So my friend was tempted to say, well, go start your own company. Go put your neck on the line. You guys are going to get paid whether the employee, whether the, the person that contracted me pays me or not. Sometimes our preoccupation with fairness causes us to lose sight of what others are doing for us. Now, let's just think. We don't want to stretch the parable too far, but if you were that same guy and you still weren't done and you wanted to go back and hire some, some laborers, you go back to that same place, who would you be most likely to hire? The guys that work for the least amount per hour. In our culture, we view everything by the hour, right? In the cultures before, you know, clocks, <laughs> couldn't run around with a sundial around your neck, um, you work by the day. So he fulfilled his promise to them. He didn't lie to them. And so what his agreement with the other workers were was really not their concern. He wanted to bless the poor guys because these being the breadwinners of their household, they all had the same needs, right? And I think sometimes God blesses us not just for our ability, but our availability. If these last-hour workers had been available all day long and went home with only 10 bucks, it would not have met a need. But the goodness of the vineyard owner moved him to do what he did so that everybody's needs were met. That's the way God operates. A person can be on their deathbed, having lived a vile, wicked life, and call on the name of the Lord and get saved just before they breathe their last breath. Example, the thief on the cross. While a person who served God their whole life, the rich man that sold everything to follow Jesus from his youth to his elder years receives eternal life. It doesn't compute, does it? But that's the goodness of God. He is good. You don't want God becoming a scorekeeper. If he becomes a scorekeeper, we're all toast. Right? So we gotta put our Spreadsheets aside, (laughs) speaking today on the subject, when God's grace seems unfair. Let's say that together. When God's grace seems unfair. When God's grace seems unfair, it is because we are thinking selfishly and not generously. Joe Duncan told me years ago, For something to be of God does not mean it has to bless me personally. If something is a move of God or an act of God, it does not always have to bless me personally if it's God. Right? He can choose a man who was a security guard at Motel 6 when I met him and make him the pastor of the largest church in the Metroplex. He can do that and team him up with an amazing teacher who was a manager of a furniture store. Neither one have master's degrees, yet God is using them mightily and showing the rest of us how it's done. So when God's grace seems unfair, it may be because we're thinking selfishly and not generously. Jesus sees everything. And the story's not over. If you have many grandkids and you want to bless each of them individually, let's say it's Christmas time or it's snack time or whatever, they all want to be first. Don't they? Hold on your horses. Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, Why would you do that unless God called you to? Or unless they abandon you? Shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Hallelujah, that's the future, but the present is painful. Doesn't seem fair. Where the spouse that's rough with his family doesn't go through a divorce and a person that lays down their life loses it all it doesn't seem fair but god sees it all you devote yourself to the sake of the name of the lord the story is not over when god's grease grease when god's grace seems greasy when it seems unfair it may be because we are thinking wrongfully and not humbly in our text today It says, when the first came, they supposed, they assumed, they thought that they would receive more than everybody else because they were the first, so they thought they would be the first. They wound up being the last. They got paid the least per hour. They weren't thinking humbly. How do you think humbly? I'm grateful to have a job. I believe I did a good job. Day's labor for this man. I can look in the mirror and feel good. I didn't slack off when he wasn't looking. I worked hard. And tomorrow, if we don't get done, he's going to want to hire me. Maybe I'll become the foreman. But it's his business, not mine. If I don't like it, I need to go plant my own vineyard. I'm gonna move right on from there. When God's grace seems unfair, it may be because we're thinking emotionally and not biblically. I mean, we've, our feelings are so powerful, they feel like they are the truth. I mean, conviction, right? It's important to have convictions, but what if your convictions are wrong? The master responded to their assumption, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Unlike God, if this guy had limited resources, he couldn't bless them all. The same, you know, he had to kind of be generous in certain ways. There's that Jim Carrey movie called Bruce Almighty who's seen that. And he's always challenging God and upset at God and Morgan Freeman, of all people who plays God, gives him... The ability to be God for a day. Well, he doesn't want to take time listening to people's prayers and answering their emails. He just answers yes to them all. And so everybody who bought a lottery ticket wins (laughs) $13.39. God's economy isn't like that. His economy works in conjunction with his purposes, his kingdom. He has chosen us, the church, to reveal the manifold wisdom of God, to the ages to come, to the principalities in power. The analogy of a puzzle works right here. You know, who, who likes to build puzzles? Sometimes unused pieces have to wait till it's their turn. God's making a wonderful picture. Who likes crossword puzzles or Sudoku? Sometimes you got to solve one part of the puzzle so he can solve the other part of the puzzle. So God's got a plan, and you're gonna like it. You will. Trust him. Stop making an idol out of fairness. God is just and good. But in the temporal realm, he doesn't always seem fair. But in the eternal realm, he is fair. This is Robert F. Smith. In the bulletin, I left this little story. Last year, he spoke at the commencement ceremonies to the graduating class of 2019 at Morehouse College. And during his speech, he announced, my family is going to create a grant to eliminate your student loans. Can you imagine the joy in that room? He went on to declare, you great Morehouse men, African-American university, college, mostly for males, are bound only by the limits of your conviction and your creativity. The momentous announcement made the news, and there was plenty of buzz, online and offline. And someone joked, are you free this time to speak at our commencement ceremony next year? (laughs) I'm sure he was hoping to inspire other commencement ceremony speakers, but that's what he did. He blessed them. Later, there was an undercurrent of resentment that began to be stirred up among other parents and other graduates and students at other schools who had worked, saved, sweated blood, sweat, and tears, and sacrificed in order to pay for a college's tuition. Michelle Singletary, a personal financial columnist for the Washington Post, explained, There's a common complaint I hear from some parents who have sacrificed and saved for their children to attend college debt-free. And this question is, was my labor in vain? Those not on the receiving end of this amazing gift might have thought to themselves, even for just a second, what about me? What about us? What do we get for doing the right thing and saving for our kids to go to college debt-free? Continuing, She wrote some encouraging words for those who did it the hard way. Your saving and sacrificing doesn't make you a loser. It makes you responsible and fortunate. There's so much reward for living within your means, including setting a good example for your children. Whether it's a surprise gift from a billionaire or need-based aid given to some other person's child, don't resent what others do. Get. So if you're a college student and you didn't go to this school and you didn't receive this kind of grant, what did you get out of it? You got an example that if you're blessed, be a blessing to others. And maybe if you got the easy way out, it would affect your future because you would have a distorted view of reality. Trust me, the people that were blessed like this are still going to go through some tough times. So when others are blessed, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's life. I love the book of Acts. Everybody wants us to be a book of Acts church. I'm like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure because it's not all just about power and miracles. There's riots There's suffering, there's imprisonment, there's beatings, it's riots and revivals simultaneously. While they're rejoicing for Peter's deliverance from prison, his escape from execution, they're also having to comfort the mother of Zebedee's children, who in our text today wanted her sons to be able to sit on the right and left side of his throne in the kingdom. And the Lord said, are you able to drink the cup that I'm drinking of? He had just predicted his death and his suffering, and she responds, hey, can my boys have big seats in your kingdom? He said, you don't know what you're asking. If you lined up the 11 apostles in terms of their death, from left to right or right to left, who died first and who died last, her two boys would be the bookends on that group. One would be on the right and one would be on the left. They all, he had told them earlier that day, all of y'all are gonna sit on thrones. So they all had thrones in the kingdom, but in terms of their departure from here. So back to this fairness thing. It's not fair that her son loses his head and Peter's mother-in-law's, rejoices that her son-in-law was spared. God spared him, right? Did he not? But what about James? What about James? It's not fair. It's not fair. When God's grace seems unfair, it may be because we're thinking enviously and not thankfully. He said, is it not in my authority to do what I want with my things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So God is good. Who would agree with that? So why should we get the evil eye, the stink eye? Why should we be filled with evil? Because God is good. I mean, think about that. It's about how you look at things that determines how you see things. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? All of us think we see things the way way they really are. He tells it like it is. No, he doesn't. He tells it like he sees it. And how he sees it determines how he tells it. So how I see determines what I see. And sometimes what I'm seeing, I'm actually projecting. Or what I'm seeing, I'm filtering out all the contradictory facts that have the big picture. God has a big picture. We don't. This is echoed in Luke 11. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. We all could use, starting with the pastor, a fresh dose of humility, especially in these days of conflict. Because the Lord sees it all, he knows what's happening, and we don't. So, our eyes can't be evil because God is good. That makes no sense, right? That's certainly not fair. When God's grace seems unfair, we're thinking of our priorities and not his. We're thinking of our family and not Simon Peter's family. It's tough. This is reality. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a certain vineyard owner went out and hired some men and agreed to a price. So the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, heaven, when it comes in its fullness isn't going to have a lot of earth's nonsense. But heaven manifested in the earthly realm. This is the kind of thing that happens. When God's grace seems unfair, we're thinking of our priorities and not his priority. He told his disciples, whoever desires to become great, let him be your servant. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I want to be somebody's slave. I want to be last. No, we all, let's, let's be honest. We, we want fairness, but we are called to lay down our life for others to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. That is part of the gospel. Well, I like that book I saw in the Christian bookstore, How to Get What You Want from God. Well, that's a false teaching. It's a perception that filters out the whole picture, the whole counsel of God. Our priorities must submit to His. What am I forgetting? How did I, how did I uh, get here? Why am I thinking these ways and not other ways? How, how we think is determined by what we remember. There's some things we forget sometimes that affects our thinking. So here's some reminders. When God's grace seems unfair, we're forgetting five things we're forgetting that God gives in unequal measures. He does. To every man is given the measure of faith, but some, the human body being used as an analogy, some are called to be the eye, some are called to be the ear, some are called to be part of the foot, some are called to be part of the organs. So if the toe says, I want to be the hand, that's that's not gonna be healthy for your body. So just as your body functions, so Christ's body functions. None of us are the eye or the ear or the mouth. He is, right? He's the head. We're everything underneath the head. And some parts of the body are more visible than others, but if you take away the invisible parts, the body dies. Without your liver, you can't what? You can't live. To be a liver, you got to have a liver. And so the unseemly parts, the unrecognized parts are the parts that are most necessary for physical health. So in the spiritual realm, God calls us to do things differently. And so if we're into the comparing thing, which is never wise, you're going to sooner or later get disappointed When God's grace seems unfair, we're forgetting that all of our blessings are gifts of grace. We didn't earn anything. We didn't plant this vineyard for us to go work at. We didn't water these grapevines for them to bear harvest. We didn't give life to the grapes. We didn't give ourselves the good sense and ability that we have to be able to serve the Lord's purposes. So it all goes back to the Lord. None of us would have enough sense to get in out of the rain were it not for his mercy. When God's grace seems unfair, we're forgetting that God rewards according to his standard, not ours. There are rewards in heaven. I'm telling you right now, some of the people you think are gonna get the biggest rewards in heaven, you'll be shocked at who does. It's payday someday. When God's grace seems unfair, it may be because we are forgetting that everything that we do is only our duty. We are but unprofitable servants if we do what we're called to do. He gets all the glory and the honor. We lift our hands in worship and bless your holy name. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. When God's grace seems unfair, it may be because we are forgetting that ultimately our being first or last doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because eternity minus a million years equals eternity. So it doesn't matter. It's time for us to develop our eternal perspective and see things from God's God's perspective and be faithful to to, to call on his name when we need his help and strength and being faithful to fulfill his calling when he calls on us. When we call on him, he saves us. Does he not have the right to call on us to serve his purposes? what can I do? Well, it starts with what we don't do. When God's grace seems unfair, we must not do these things, or we must not be this way. When God's grace seems unfair, we must not be abandoning any of our holy assignments. If you have an assignment from God, you have been set apart to do that. You have been sanctified to do that. That is a holy thing. I don't care if it's sweeping the floor at a supermarket. If God called you to do it, to be a light there, and you know God called you to do it, that's a holy thing. As holy as Billy Graham's calling When God's grace seems unfair, we must not be abandoning our holy assignment. Now, we are seeing in our culture, I don't want to get political here, but we're seeing the politicization of agencies that were created to serve people. And they're losing sight of their calling. This is the demands coming from the L.A. Teachers Union. They're demanding this. This is their demand for reopening schools. They're demanding that L.A. defunds the police, that L.A. puts a moratorium on charter schools, and that America gives financial support for undocumented students and families, and that America provides federal Medicare for all, and that they impose a state wealth tax to pay for all this. Now, wherever you stand on that, I'm not going to argue with you on it, okay? But is this the purpose of the L.A. Teachers Union? No. They have lost their sense of purpose. So stick with me here. We don't want to go down that rabbit trail. When God's grace seems unfair, we must not abandon any of our holy assignments. We have a purpose. We must not be discouraged if what we do seems small. It's just a little thing. Not in the eyes of God. If he's called you, it's big. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Be faithful. Some pastors are called to serve in little one-horse towns in the middle of nowhere in West Texas. Thank God for those faithful men and women. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. It is not insignificant. People like that, I see them and I think, I'm not even saved. They're awesome. Such faithfulness. When God's grace seems unfair, we must not be bitter if what we do seems insignificant or doesn't get noticed. God notices. And nothing in alignment with his will is insignificant. Maybe you have quit serving what God called you to do because you you despised it yourself. Didn't realize how much the Lord Norval Hayes became a well known word of faith preacher based in Cleveland, Tennessee. But most people don't know how he started. He was a businessman who got gloriously saved and uh, saw some miracles and entered the ministry by traveling to university campuses, passing out Christian comics. I've heard him talk about this. He thought it wasn't a significant thing. And when he quit, because it was insignificant, he got rebuked by some person who came up to him and says, the Lord says, what you have stopped doing is very precious to him. And rebuked him for it. I don't know what it eventually became, but it was something he wasn't supposed to stop. Maybe you do it in a different way. I know he did start a Bible school. Maybe he sent out teams of people with the comic books. I'm not sure. But don't become bitter or discouraged because what you do seems small or insignificant. I think you got the point. When God's grace seems unfair, we must not be prideful if what we do is seen as great. Finally, it's my turn for greatness. You know, the advertising world talks a lot about what we deserve. You deserve a break today. You deserve this. I deserve that. Really? All of our blessings are the gifts of God's grace. You want to know what we deserve? We deserve eternal separation from God. We don't deserve his blessings. So... He gets all the glory. You get all the glory and the honor. And finally, we must not be forgetting that it is all about God's glory. When God's grace seems unfair, it may be because we have forgotten it's all about God's glory. I'm in a singing mood today. The song that came out of England that uh, back in the 90s became well known, we never learned it and and, uh, but, I, but I did. I, I loved it. It was one of the things I would listen to. And it was called um, Jesus, comma, Lover of My Soul, not to be confused with the Hillsong Lover of My Soul, but it goes like this. It's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way, for you alone are God, and I surrender to your way. The book of John ends with this story, watch this.
3: When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you?
2: You follow me. If following the Lord has been something you've been tempted to not do, Because of other people, don't be distracted. If it's His will that they become multi billionaires and world famous, what is that to us? We're called to follow Him. Don't be discouraged. God is good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He may be calling you to to leave a dream, to pursue something else. It will be worth it all. Because God is good. Let's celebrate the goodness of God.
1: Oh, your mercy never fills me. All my days, I've been held.
2: me correct one thing before Yvette leads us in prayer I do want a book of Acts church I do but we need to understand what that means amen
4: all our lives God has been faithful and having that perspective while we're here as well as having an eternal perspective of the reward for our faithfulness to him is encouraging it makes me want to get there sooner but there's still things to be done here on earth while we're here. And the word that the Lord gave me was assignment. Assignment. And I want us today to just recommit our lives to the Lord in the area of assignment. What is it that God has called you to do that I can't do? Are you doing it? this message today bring balance to you. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Hmm. Or, I'm done. I'm out. Peace out. Gone. And yet the Lord is saying, just like Pastor Allen said a minute ago, he rejoices over us when we're walking in that assignment. No matter how big, no matter how small, So including myself, including Pastor Allen, everyone on this platform, they're fulfilling their assignments. Thank you. A few years ago, I prophesied over Amber about having a call to lead worship. Every now and again, she'd come back to me. She goes, what else is God telling you? I'm like, nothing. Do what I told you. Do what the Lord told you to do. Should come back again. Did God give you anything else for me? Nope. That is your calling. You're doing it. Stay in your assignment. Thank you, Jesus. Put your hand on your heart. Say it with me, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you for being so good to me. By your grace, By your grace. I, accept the I accept the assignment that you've given me to complete on earth. I lay it at your feet, and I say, have your way in my life. Give me faith to believe that what you've called me to do, what you've called me to do. is no less and no greater, no greater than, anybody else's than anybody else's assignment. More than anything, Lord, than anything, Lord we, want to, we want to give you glory and we want your heart to be pleased with us as we walk through our life fulfilling our assignments. Fulfilling our assignments. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name,
1: you
2: Go get 'em Tigers